0: Hey, this is Lee Snow, I'm the preacher of Warm Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today, I hope it inspires you, I hope it builds your faith, I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, good morning. If you want, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 25, that will be our text for this morning. Psalm chapter 25. Now before we get there, uh, over the last few weeks we've been talking about prayers that one might pray that that may be um, challenging in nature. You know, the type of prayer where you ask God for something that, uh, well you ask God for something that is going to make you work a little bit. A lot of times we, we relegate prayer to just, kind of a demand on God that we we want you to do this, but we may not be interested in doing much of anything else. In Matthew chapter 19, you have a conversation between Jesus and a man. We'll get to Psalm chapter 25 here in just a minute, but you have a conversation between Jesus and a man, and I want to take that conversation and twist it just a little bit, okay? So bear with me. Hopefully you don't think I'm twisting Scripture, okay? But just, just, just give me a second, okay? Anyways. Matthew chapter nineteen. Just just imagine this conversation, maybe if you were having it with Jesus Christ. Jesus introduces himself. Hi my name's Jesus. I came to die on the cross for your sins. I came to save you from, from the the wickedness that, that you practice because mankind over over the years has done a pretty good job at just coming up with your own way. And and I came to I came to fix that problem. So all I ask is that you follow my wisdom and my teaching and my leading and and then I will pay your ransom. I'll I'll make sure that you do not have to worry about any of the guilt of anything you've ever done that may be different from the way that I and and God has, has asked you to live. And you answer like this. Jesus, um, I I, I really like the idea of having, you know, a full life and a happy life. But I'm just not so sure about all this. I think what I'll do is I'll take the forgiveness and I'll leave the wisdom and teachings. And I'll I'll do that myself. You handle the the forgiveness and I'll handle everything else. We can can come to an agreement. That's basically the conversation that happens in Matthew chapter 19. Man comes to Jesus and says, what do I lack, essentially? And Jesus says... Here's what you lack. You may be pretty faithful, quote unquote, but the, the problem is that you have a, an unhealthy, an unrighteous trust in what you have, your, your finances, your money, your things. So he says, you need to get rid of them. The man walks away. And the text says that he walks away sorrowful, but I, I, don't, I don't know if that really if that really tells us much, but here's here's the deal. After it's over, after this conversation is over, Jesus then says this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So many speculations have come from verse 24. Maybe there was a, a... Gate in the wall of Jerusalem that, uh, you know, a camel had to do, stoop down and maybe crawl on his knees. Okay, that, that gate doesn't exist. We can't find the gate, so there's no reason to think that that's true. What Jesus is, is saying is not about some gate in a wall. What he's saying is every person is faced with a decision at some point in their lives. And sometimes that decision happens more often than not. And that decision essentially revolves around what this rich young ruler had to deal with this guy has so much money and so, much, and so many possessions that his decision is what is he willing to give up how far is he willing to go to, to do what he said if he's going to keep his word he says I follow God I, I want to I give to people I want to help people I want to love people if you're going to follow with what you've confessed then that's your decision Every person's faced with with one of those decisions at some point in their lives. Psalm chapter 25 is David's decision, okay? So what I want to do this morning is, um, I want to just take a minute, and I know that it's a very, it's somewhat lengthy reading, but I want to read the psalm before we get started, because I think that's really where um, the heart of David will come out in, in Psalm chapter 25. So, Psalm 25 verse 1. To you, O Lord. I lift up my soul. O my God, in You I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me or or, uh, be happy over me, gloat over me. Indeed, none who wait for You shall be put to shame, but they shall be ashamed who who be wantonly treacherous. Verse 4. Make me to know Your ways, O Lord. Teach me Your paths. Lead me in Your truth and teach me. For You are the God of my salvation. For You... I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they, have not, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon me my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. He makes to them known His covenant. Verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider, verse 19, how many are my foes, With what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. So this psalm written by David, we don't really know exactly when it's written, but it's It's obviously at some point when David has been faced with that decision that the rich young ruler was faced with, the the decision that you and I are faced with on a regular basis, and that is, are we going to do what we've said that we're willing to do? And David apparently feels as though he hasn't done that. In this psalm are 18 prayers, at least 18 prayers, or statements to God asking for something, okay? Okay? We're not going to look at all of them, but what I wanted to do is just kind of break this psalm down and see the heart of David, see what he understands that is true and see his expectations because there's, there's going to come a time if it hasn't already and if it hasn't, you've probably either not been looking, not been paying attention or you just don't care. Those are really the three options because this, this happens almost the minute you become a Christian or the minute that you start to follow God. And if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you at least, at the very least, are interested in what God has to say or else you wouldn't be here unless you were made to come here. And if that's the case, then you're in the best place that you could possibly be. Okay, so anyways, don't get mad at whoever made you come because they're they're looking out for you. Anyways, so the heart of David... When he is struck with this decision and he chooses the wrong thing, are you ready? So, number one, let's look at the situation that he finds him in, finds himself in. Number one, it's a fear. It's a, it's a situation of fear or respect or reverence toward God. When you read the Bible and it says the word fear, you have to kind of look at the context to decide what what it's talking about. Is it talking about like Hebrews ten thirty one? It is fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, given the context of that passage, essentially what the Hebrews writer is saying is, if you're in sin, and you continue to be in sin, and you choose to be in sin, and you choose as Christians to stay away from the church, then you have... verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10. You have no salvation anymore. But then Hebrews 10.31 not only do you not have salvation, now you have the hands of a living God waiting for you. And that is a scary fear. But on the other hand, you'll have the fear like in this psalm, this idea of fear. Verse number two. Oh my God, in you I trust. Verse number nine. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble in his ways. David understands that God is a... God is an an avenue for us to show reverent fear. That God is an object of that reverent fear. And so his situation, number one, anytime anyone is overcome by sin and and gives into some sort of temptation, the first thing that they have to realize is number one, who has been upset? Who has been wronged? now we can sin Matthew chapter eighteen talks about me sinning against you and you sinning against me if If I sin against you, your job is to come to me and talk to me if If you sin against me, my job is to come to you and talk to you but there's a bigger picture about sin sin is not just what you and I do against each other. Sin is also what we do against God. If I sin against a person made in the image of God, then not only have I sinned against that person, but now I've sinned against the person that made them. And that person is God. So the first thing they have to do is realize just who they've wronged. We may have wronged some person, but more importantly, we've wronged the one who created that person. And David understands who God is. He's in a situation of fear and respect. He knows exactly who God is. I mean, he's the person after God's own heart, for for instance. But anyways... Number two, he finds himself in this lonely situation. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. Sometimes the place of sin, place of being in sin is a source of loneliness because we feel like we're the only person that's ever dealt with that thing. Y'all ever felt like that? That my problems are bigger than everybody else. No one has ever dealt with this. No one has ever been stricken with this temptation. Nobody's ever dealt with this problem. There's one passage in the New Testament that when I read it the first time and realized what it was talking about, it really struck me. It's one of those passages that... Um, now, have you, have you ever read a passage of the Scriptures and it hits you so hard or it, it makes you think so much that next time you read it, you can never read it in any other way, it only shows that. that's dangerous at times, but First Corinthians is one of those wherein Paul tells the Corinthians that there is no affliction that has overcome you or temptation, that has overcome you, that is not common to man, that your temptations and your sins are not special. That's the beauty of the church, is that we all have the same temptations, the same struggles. Maybe in different ways. Maybe at different times and so forth. But we're not all that special. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the feeling, of that, the feeling that I am special is idolatry. Because we're saying that we're so, much, so important. We're so special. That, that everything else comes secondary to us. It's just not true. And David feels in this lonely place. He feels like no one else is is here for him. I'm lonely and afflicted. But he knows that the the answer is to turn to God, which is why he writes a psalm with 18 prayers in it. Number three, he finds himself in a situation of guilt. Verse 7 of Psalm chapter 25. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs the sinners in the way. David calls himself, I mean this is a prayer about his own sin, and he's talking about God instructing the sinners in his way. David calls himself a sinner. Wait a second, David. I am a, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. I'm no, I'm, I'm no longer a sinner. Well, when we're overcome by sin, we are. It's what James chapter 5 says. Now, if you're a faithful Christian, please do not keep Badgering yourself, telling yourself that you're a sinner. If you're faithful and you're walking in the light, to see the light, and you're you're following God, please do not keep putting yourself down so much that you tell yourself, "Well, I'm just I'm just a sinner all the time. I just sin all the time. I just sin." There are those of us who have that issue. There are those of us who who deal with that. But James chapter five and Psalm chapter twenty-five relegate that word to a person, if if they are a follower of God, to a person who has given over to sin. If you're fighting it, and you stumble, it's different from being a sinner in the definition that the Bible gives us. Okay, But, he finds himself in this place of guilt. He, He calls himself a sinner. He knows where he is. Verse 11, for your name's sake, pardon my guilt, for it's great. Verse 18, consider my affliction my trouble, forgive all my sins. And then he finds himself in this place of confusion. Now, just put yourself back the last time that you sinned, okay? Maybe it was like two seconds ago. Maybe it was like 45 minutes ago. Maybe it was when the kids wouldn't get in the car this morning on the way to church. Maybe it was when you were, I don't know. Anyways, back to what we were talking about. Put yourself in that situation. Now, put yourself in the situation that you've realized that you've sinned. Do you have those same, same situational characteristics? This, this fear of knowing, this respect of knowing who it is that I've wronged, this guilt of fe- and loneliness of feeling like I am, I am alone, I'm all by myself, I don't know what's happening, this confusion, verse number 4 and 5, make me know Your ways, O Lord, teach me Your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. So he's praying for God to forgive him. But he understands that this situation is only temporary. That the feelings that he's feeling are only temporary. So he moves on throughout this. I know we're jumping around this psalm um, a lot, but... So he moves on throughout this psalm to pray these eighteen prayers, like verse number twenty, "Guard my soul." Verse sixteen, "Turn to me and be gracious to me." Verse four and five, "Make me know your ways." He prays all these prayers because he's he's going back and forth. He he has this kind of this problem of of he's he feels like he's he's getting better and then he and then he's going back and then he feels like he's getting better and then he's going back. All in just the few minutes that it would take to write this psalm down, he feels this tug, this back and forth motion. And so he feels guilty, and then he prays. Then he feels confusion, and he prays. Then he feels lost and lonely, and he prays. And just keeps going over and over and over again. And then, let's talk about his expectations. What did, what did David understand? Because we're talking about prayers that make us do something, Right? Not that we're just throwing it over. There are some times when you just throw things to God and just say, do whatever you can. We have a very good friend named Tabby Jenkins who's the preacher of the wife at the Redland Church of Christ. I don't know if I can call him the preacher at the Redland Church of Christ because he hasn't, Tyler hasn't been able to preach in months. And if you, if you all know um, a preacher, the mind of a preacher... We can't. We, we don't like going 15 minutes without preaching. Yesterday, I was at a convention and I had to speak. And about halfway through my speech, I realized that I had started preaching and I had to figure out how to roll it back. So Tyler hasn't preached in months. But Tabby, his wife, has been dealing with... Uh, a, uh, she's basically dying of leukemia. And uh, he's been, they've been in Augusta for the last, like, I don't know, six months almost. Trying to deal with this and, and figure out what's going on and getting her treatments and so forth. And she's, she's finally getting better. But sometimes you just have to throw something to God and just say, I, 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 there's nothing I can do. I can't fight leukemia. This is all you. And then there are other times when we pray things and what we're praying for is really for God to give us the chance. And God to give us the the avenue to do what we need to do. That sometimes we pray and we say, this is above me. This is above my pay grade. God, I need you to take care of it. And then there's other times that we pray and it's essentially this. You just figure out a way to make me do this. Because I seem to have a problem in making myself do it. And so I need you to help me and you make me do it. And that's this kind of prayer that David is praying in Psalm chapter 25. So he has these expectations. Number one, look at verse number eight. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. In the way, sorry. The first expectation that David shows in this psalm is that he knows that sinners can be confident and know that there's a way out. When he's in this situation and he doesn't know where to go and he's lonely and he's lost and he's confused and he's guilty and he's respectful because he knows who he's wronged but at the same time he's really just overcome with emotions. It's not the same kind of emotions as like Psalm 51. You read Psalm 51 and you read David who has just lost a child because of his sins. That's a different kind of of emotions that he's feeling than... Psalm 25. I want you to, later on, maybe this week sometime when you're reading, read Psalm 51 and then turn around and read Psalm 25 and see the difference in the personalities. This is not that kind of emotions. This is is more restrained, knowing what's wrong, knowing that it needs to be fixed, and knowing what he can do to fix it. And he has an expectation that he has the ability to follow the way. That even though it takes God to teach him that way, he has the ability to follow that way. All right? Then let's go into these three different um, kind of prerequisites that he understands. Verse number nine. Psalm chapter 25. Verse number nine. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. This humility that we talked about last week that comes from James 4. Uh, seven through ten. Submit yourselves to God. Redis- resist the devil, and he'll flee from him. you. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This humility that comes from reading the Bible. He understands that that humility is a prerequisite. That, that I have to understand that not only are my problems not problems that are just uncommon. That that my problems are bigger and more important than everyone else's problems. He understands in verse number 9 that that humility is the basis for everything else that he's praying. Then verse number 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenants and His testimonies. So number one, he knows humility is a prerequisite. Number two, he knows that this idea of covenant keeping those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. Okay, let's break those down real quick and just talk about what those are. In that kind of hypothetical story we talked about a minute ago, when Jesus told us that we want, He wants us to follow His wisdom and His teachings, those, those, are, those are the covenant and the testimonies. A covenant is the decision of what we made when we became Christians. When you became a Christian, you made a covenant with God. And that was, I'll do my part if you do your part. In fact, I can prove it to you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And if you write in your Bible, maybe it's time to get your pen out. I don't, this may not even be worth it. But anyways, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. So in 1 Peter 3, you have this conversation about the flood and everything that happened around it. Um, And I'm going to read from uh, the, the Christian Standard Bible here, but verse 18 of 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison or who are now in prison. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah. That's how we know that the spirits he's preaching to are the ones that are already in prison because he's talking about the past when they were disobedient. He was disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. in, In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, But, depending on your translation, you may have something different. But your translation may say, answer of a good conscience toward God. Your translation may say, inquiry of a good conscience toward God. Christian Standard Bible says, pledge of a good conscience toward God. The word there means all of those. It's an answer, it is an inquiry, it's a question and an answer at the same time. And it's also a pledge. When we are baptized, that's when we ask God to save us. That's why we know that the, the, the idea that you just pray a prayer and God saves you is not correct because 1 Peter 3.21 says the time that we ask Him, the inquiry is when we're baptized. And the answer is is... It's an answer because when we were reading the Bible and we understood it and we've studied it and we paid attention to it and we realized what He said was was that what we were doing was wrong and how we lived our lives was, was contrary to the way He told us that we should live our lives, then we decided that we were going to do whatever it took. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. So it's an inquiry because it's the moment we ask God for salvation. It's an answer because our conscience has been, has been changed by the things that we've learned from God's Word. And it's a pledge because that's the moment that we make that covenant with God. So way back in Psalm 25, David didn't have baptism. He didn't have the ability to be baptized for the remission of sins. But what David did have was have a covenant that he had made. And for us, in the New Testament times, our covenant is when we're baptized. So he made this covenant and he understood... Go back to Psalm chapter 25 now. He understood that that covenant that He had made was more important than anything else. All the paths, verse 10, of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. So the covenant is the pledge we made, the decision we made, the answer we made, and the answer He made. And then the testimonies are the teachings. The Old Testament and the New Testament Those are those are teachings. So even though we're not in the same situation as David, because if David wants salvation from his sins, one, he has to pray and then he has to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, and we don't have that same situation. We can see the the like the likeliness that or the, the, the like nature rather that what he did may have been different in the actions, but the foundation was still the same. He understood that humility is a prerequisite. That keeping my covenant with God is a prerequisite, that following His testimonies are a prerequisite. And finally, look at verse number 15. This is the best definition of faith that I can find in the Old Testament. Verse 15, "My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Well he will pluck me, or sorry sorry, for he will pluck my feet out of the net." That's a pretty good definition of faith. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. That's what faith means. Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about if you're going to have enough food and if you're going to have enough water and clothing and shelter. God takes care of the sparrows, doesn't He? If He's going to take care of a sparrow, He's going to take care of you. So Matthew 6.33, You seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. And all those things will be added to you. You pay attention to what God is doing, and everything else will be taken care of. You pay attention to your relationship with God, and by nature of that relationship, the rest of your life is going to come together. That's why John 10:10 10, 10 says that it's the, the full life that he gives. So David has a few expectations. He knows. He knows that I have to be humble, I have to keep my covenant. That I have, to, I have to keep His testimonies and I have to keep my eyes on Him. When He prays these 18 prayers that are about forgiveness, He understands all those things. I have to stay humble. I have to keep my eyes on Him. I have to keep His testimonies. And I have to make sure that my covenant is strong. When we pray forgiveness, it cannot be this idea that God I'm sorry I, I, I repent for what I've done and I'm going to let you handle this from here on out because you've heard me say it a thousand times and you'll probably hear me say it a million times in the future God will not do something for us that we're not willing to do for ourselves He can't He can't forgive me if I'm not willing to do my part that's what a covenant is If you're married, I know we have some folks that are looking at getting married and so forth in here, but if you're already married, let me ask you a question. Men, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay? How well do you think your marriage would go if you never, ever, ever held her hand, told her you loved her, took her out to eat, you know, at her favorite restaurant, whether it's McDonald's or Ruth's Chris? you know i got somewhere in the middle so i guess i'm lucky i don't know anyways <clears throat> how well would your relationship work your marriage work if you didn't do anything you didn't talk to her you didn't help her you didn't like encourage her and and i know i'm the worst at the encouragement thing cuz i if you tell me a problem i have four ways to fix it by the time you're done telling me the problem okay If you just listen to me, you'd have all your problems fixed. Anyways, so how well does a covenant work? How well does a relationship work if, if we don't pour anything into it? We cannot ask for forgiveness if we're not willing to accept his demands of where forgiveness is found. We can't ask for forgiveness if we're just throwing it to Him like leukemia and saying, this is all you, because it's not. There are things that we just have to give over to God and say, I don't know how you're going to handle this. And and thankfully, Tabby has thousands of Christians praying for her on a regular basis. And I believe that's why she's getting better. But that's, that's not the forgiveness of sins. David understands that he has prerequisites that he has to meet. He has to be humble. He has to keep his covenant. has to keep the testimonies. He has to be fearful of God. And he has to keep his eyes on God. And then he prays, forgive me. We can't think that God is going to save us from our sins if all we're ever willing to do is sit around and wait for Him to save us from our sins. Now that doesn't mean that we do something to earn it. But what it means is that we do something to show that covenant. If you need to become a Christian this morning, uh, baptism is the way that you ask God for forgiveness. Baptism is the way that you answer what you've learned and how you answer what you've learned from the Scriptures. And baptism is the way that you become a part of that covenant with God. But hear me out on this. You will fail. You will stumble. Maybe, probably, at the beginning, a lot more than you're willing to admit. admit. Some of us are, stumble and fall a lot more and we've been Christians for 50 years and we don't want to admit how much we have troubles. But every time that a Christian sins, 1 John says that we have this advocate, that we have Jesus Christ standing in front of God and saying, I understand where he came from and why he was, he's tempted with this or why she's tempted with this. And she's trying and he's trying and he's repentant. But repentance is this kind of asking for forgiveness. It's not just I come to church twice a week or once a week and that means God is going to save me from my sins. Repentance is I'm going to do my part and let God do his part. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand. Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement, and you can let us know while we do that.